Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 67. It is the first week of May 2021. And I hate to tell you, but the left lane driving is still an issue. I went down to the PDRA race in Bowling Green this weekend, and the race was fantastic. Uh, We'll talk more about that later on the show. Uh, the, The drivers were great. The cars were fantastic. The weather was unbelievable, and the show was terrific. But getting there and back was a real mess. Uh, The chaos is all over down in Kentucky. I don't understand it, but it is time to put my foot down. You all know me as a man who backs up his words with action. But I simply don't have time to manage every state of the union. Uh, So I'm going to start putting people in charge of regulating the left-hand driving because it is simply gotten out of hand. Uh, So I'm putting Aaron Glasser in charge of managing the dodos down there that are plugging up the passing lanes in the Bluegrass State. You know Aaron from episode number 17 and his two-faced Camaro, which is just a gorgeous paint job from that standpoint. Uh, Aaron is an absolutely great guy, uh, lives in Louisville, Kentucky, and I feel like it was a great nominee to get things cleaned up down there. So Aaron, I'm counting on you to make some progress down there. It's on you now. I'm washing my hands of it, but you need to keep me posted on how it's going because I can't do this all the time. I cannot continue to have to pass people on the right-hand lane. Um, Also, uh, last week, and we had some new listeners, and those of you that are new to the show just a reminder, if you do not know why we play Gloria at the end of each episode, do yourself a favor and listen to episode number nine. It will answer that question in a big way and uh, really is a big part of the mentality of everyone here in Fast Brackets Nation. Also, you learned last week uh, as Brett Kepner became the latest guest to get podcast certified. Podcast certified is much like your chassis certification. It allows you to uh, to do a lot of things. That, of course, allows him to come on the show whenever he wants to talk about whatever he wants. Uh, you get a lot of leeway from me when you get podcast certified. Of course, that leniency comes very well earned because not everybody gets certified. You have to bring the heat when you come on. And my man, Mr. Dirt, did exactly that last week. Now, we've got two guys coming on this week who have a very good chance of earning that themselves. I am flat out excited to have these two incredible guests on this week. First up, Ross Lloris, a top dragster and super comp standout, uh, is is gonna come on and talk his racing program and then also pro stock standout Kenny Delco comes on and talks about uh, his program and where we're at in the pro stock world today so it's going to be awesome so let's do it let's get to doing whatever it is you do while you listen to the show make your commute clean the shop work on the old heap but metaphorically speaking get strapped in get your helmet on because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. Breaking news this week, the NHRA announces an all-electric vehicle class for 2022. Officially, it's the EV class of the NHRA Summit Racing Series. We've been talking about this for a while now. At least I have been trying to keep you up to date on the latest advances in this genre for over the past year or so. I don't love it, um, I'm afraid. But I will say this. I am not afraid of the conversation. I do believe that there is a place for it, or at least there could be a place. I'm just nervous. 
Uh, I'm nervous because I don't know how it all shake out. Definitely fear of the unknown for me on this topic. And we all know that fear. We know that fear will move the needle for some people away from the sport. And that is not appetizing to me at all. The good news is it does appear that all the batteries will be racing each other in their own class. So at least we don't have to intermingle with the life-size DeWalt's for now. Uh, Brian Loans had a very thoughtful and interesting perspective on this that he came forward with it on his Facebook page. You might have seen it this week. He started with the fragmentation issue um, that we've discussed here before. Uh, A lot of hate for classes that we don't race in just because we have decided we don't want to compete in them or we don't like them for whatever reason. And the electric vehicle class is just another addition to this. It's just another addition to small tire guys not liking big tire guys, uh, bracket guys not liking heads up guys. It's, it's, It's just an evolution of the fragmentation issue that we've already talked about and we know is in our sport, right or wrong. Um, and we'll we'll keep working on that as a sport, for, but for right now, it's part of it. And this is just another step uh, that we already, you know, already is out there. Um, but drag racing, because of that, is in a very unique position. And, you know, we can work into it. Uh, we can add the class on its own. Um, you know, we don't have to hop in with both feet, so to speak. We can let the class build while the mainstay popular classes still run and let the EV class grow organically. And yes, I understand that the term organically with electric vehicles sounds like an oxymoron. Just the best I could come up with uh, right now. But uh, let's suppose it grows organically. Um, Others... Other series have to do it all at once. So if you take NASCAR, you take F1, you take any roundy round circuit, then they just have to decide. This is the year and everyone has to make the change. Um, That is going to be devastating for them and their fans. And, And from that standpoint, the association is in a very unique and envious position. And one that appears they are poised to take advantage of. I'm still trying to get someone on the show to fully educate me on how drag racing would potentially look with electronic vehicles as the main event. But I'm interested in learning more. Uh, Truthfully, I believe I could get on board with it. The real problem I have with all of it feels like another step towards the unverified platitudes about saving the world and that uh, the electric vehicles are going to somehow save the environment. Um, The latest estimates on that are that it is actually more expensive and more environmentally detrimental to drive electronic vehicles for the first seven years of car ownership. So it does help later in the daily driver space if you are someone who keeps a car for over seven years. Um, But the average new car buyer, uh, statistically speaking, keeps their car for 8.4 years. Therefore, it is economically and environmentally better to own an electronic vehicle for the last year of ownership when you're sick and tired of it and ready to find its replacement. So the, the data is getting clearer and clearer on this. Um, it, it doesn't truly move the needle in terms of the environment, uh, but it is the, is the mentality that uh, we all should be going there. And obviously the, the car dealerships have gone that direction, made directives that said they are going to go all electronic vehicles. So from that standpoint, um, it is here. We got to deal with it. And so we'll just hope that we can find a manageable solution. Um, I would just be more likely to listen to and enjoy the conversation if it was more a little realistic conversation and not just hyperbole about saving the planet. All right, let's put this thing in the beams and bring on our next guest. Uh, He is from Raceland, Louisiana. 
He is the owner and operator of Larice Motorsports Insurance, and he is the de facto mayor of Gainesville, Florida. Welcome to the show, Ross Larice. Ross, how are you today, my man? <laughs> doing fine, doing fine, Rex. How about yourself? I, I can't complain, but I do not have the wall of wallies that you do, so uh, not quite as good. <laughs> oh, come on, man. It's not that many of them. <laughs> no, you've, you've done very well, especially at Gainesville. Uh, and we'll get to that in a minute, but uh, yeah, yeah, you've had a nice little run here recently, and uh, appreciate your time today. But uh, before we get to all that, let's let's take our listeners way way back and talk about uh, how you got started in drag racing. Wow! So actually, I started racing back in uh, 1985. Uh, started uh, bracket racing, uh, a 1980 Camaro I used to have. Uh, down in Gulfport, Mississippi, at old Gulfport Dragway. Okay. Uh, ran that car for a couple of years, and uh, I guess it was around 1987, ended up uh, getting a 67 Camara, which kind of uh, jumped me up into the Super Street class, which was right about the time I started uh, racing NHRA. You're speaking my language, then. Uh, I'm a big fan of the 67 Camaro. That's that's what I drive as well. So uh, you're, you're on my same wavelength. I like it so far. Um, and well, so you, uh, you know, it was super street. Is that what you said? Yes, correct. Yep. Started running super street and, uh, I believe it was 87. Okay. And then somewhere around 88 or 89, uh, stepped up to super gla- super gas class, uh, with, a, a 63 Corvette. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and then when did you make the move to top dragster? Uh, we started Top Dragster, I guess it was here about, uh, I'm going to say about six years ago. Okay. And tell tell our listeners uh, the combination that you drive. What talk, Walk us through your car a little bit. Yeah, so um, so I have a Danny Nelson car. Uh, I have a, a FS1 Pro Charger uh, on a 500 cubic inch um, APD motor. Um, and, you know, we were one of the first guys actually in NHRA to run a Pro Charger. Uh, it was my first year running the Top Dragster class, and uh, old Joe Hessling with APD talked me into running it. And to be honest with you, I thought he was crazy. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> man, nobody's running these Pro Chargers, you know, in, in, uh, in drag racing. What are we doing here? And he's like, Ross, I'm telling you, they work. They're going to be consistent. And uh, I got to give it to the guy. He was absolutely right. You know, our first year running Top Dragster, we finished – uh, 10th in the country, and uh, we've uh, been doing it, been doing well ever since. And if you look at the cars today, probably I would say 75% of the cars out there are now running pro chargers and top dragster. It's amazing um, how consistent those things are, and and uh, really, I mean, they're I don't want to say they're easy, but I mean, they're they're simple, right? I mean, you got guys like Danny Nelson are driving them to the lanes, and and I don't know if you do or not, but uh, you can, you certainly can with those things. No, absolutely. I'm one of those guys. I drive it uh, to the lanes and, and drive it back half the time. So, uh, yeah, we definitely do that with those cars. Right, right. And you're pulling you're pulling double duty typically when you go to an event, right? You've also run uh, you're on Super Comp. Yeah, correct. Running Top Dragster and Super Comp, uh, as well as my son's doing the same. He's running Top Dragster and Super Comp. Okay, so you you got uh, you got a full trailer of uh, of cars then as well. Um, on that super comp car, obviously you're not running a pro charger. What's the, what's the combination there? Uh, we have a 640 cubic inch motor, uh, it's an APD motor as well. Okay. And, um, and when, when you went to top dragster, what was the, what was the, the draw for you to run top dragster as opposed to just continuing to run super gas and super comp like you'd, you'd been doing? Man, you know, it's actually a pretty funny story because uh, I w- was pretty happy in Super Comp, Super Gas, the two classes I was running. Um, I always looked at Top Dragster to be a little too fast for me. Um, and my son and Scott Spies, our mechanic, uh, you know, they really pushed me to do it and pushed me to do it till finally uh, I agreed to do it. And, uh, man, I tell you, the first race we went to, I'll never forget, was in uh, Phoenix. And it was a national event in Phoenix, and it was my first time ever behind the seat of a Top Dragster car. And man, the first three passes that car went right up towards the wall, and 
I was ready to hang it up. <laughs> uh, then we sat back, and when I put up on my first round of eliminations, I'm like, wait a minute, my tires are crooked. The steering wheel wasn't put on uh, exactly straight on the steering rod. So they said, wait, let's back it up. Let's straighten this thing out. And my Ford passed. It went right down Broadway. Uh, I think we actually went to the semifinals of the first race we were in and fell in love with it after that. Well, that helps. I would I would say that certainly helps if your steering wheel is is straight, right? That's a, <laughs> I I will tell you I have done that one time, and and I know that exact feeling when a thing you know is is going a little wild, and and uh, I remember getting out thinking, well, now I can drive a funny car. Like if I can do that, like that that's what the funny car guys <laughs> do, right? So and no big thing after that. Yeah, so was it a little boring then? It was a little boring then when you were just going straight after that? Yeah, I tell you, it was a hell of a lot easier, that's for sure, man. <laughs> we, we laugh about that today. We said, Ross is getting ready to hang it up, and once we straightened that thing out, it went right down Broadway, and uh, the, the cars have been great ever since. Yeah, yeah. Um, with, and you're from you're from Louisiana. We, we've had different guys from Louisiana on before, um, guys that are very, very qualified. It seems like that area just has – um, man, is is a hotbed for guys that really high caliber top sp- sportsmen and top dragster guys down there. Any what's what's in the water down there, Ross? Oh man, I don't know. We do have plenty of good races from this area that we sure do. Yeah, you've got a whole whole crew down there. For, uh, the whole thing, um, and and your insurance group, then uh, Larissa Insurance kind of makes this whole thing go. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, what you guys do in terms of, you know, your nine to five, so to speak. Yeah, sure. So uh, basically what happened was, you know, we've been in the insurance business, my family has since 1939. Wow. And, um, oh, yeah, my, you know, all my friends, drag racing friends, knew we were in the business, and they started coming to us to insure their race cars, you know, over the last uh, six, seven, eight years. So I kind of put my son in charge of it. I, I let him go out. We had several different companies that write race car insurance. And, and we're basically a broker like most of these other insurance guys out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after, you know, riding business for, I don't know, a couple of years, my son Holden came to me. He's like, Dad, he's like, man, these companies are taking, you know, two weeks to get me quotes. Uh, you know, they won't let us quote at the track. Um, you know, when they have a claim, it's taking these guys three or four months to settle claims. He's like, man, if we could have our own insurance company where we could quote at the racetrack, find coverage on the spot, we could give on-track coverage for people that want to cover their cars going down the track, and if we could settle claims, you know, quickly and timely and, and not nitpick claims, he's like, we could really, really do well with this. So um, at that point, you know, I, I reached out to three of the carriers we were dealing with, and none of them really had interest in giving us, uh, you know, the right to do this kind of stuff. So we just decided to go out and form our own insurance company and Lo and behold, we formed Larice Motorsports Insurance. Right, and so that that covers everything, right? Like on track, off track, uh, trailers, toters, the whole deal. That's correct. Yeah, we cover the toter homes, trailers, uh, spare engines, tools. Uh, covers your race cars on and off track. Uh, you know, and it's up to you if you want just off track coverage. We can offer that if you can get on track coverage for an additional premium. Uh, you know, as well as I made sure that we drew up the broadest policies in the, you know, in the marketplace right now. We have the broadest coverage by far. Our off-track coverage covers you anywhere all the way up to the water box. And as soon as you turn off the track on the return road, your coverage starts again. But we definitely have the broadest off-track policy by far. Oh, that's that's impressive. Um, yeah, that's that's really good. And we just have so much wrapped up in you know of our net worth truthfully uh wrapped up in this stuff it's um man it's it's almost uh negligent not to have something like this that protects you know the all the stuff that we value so much i mean it's uh it's really impressive well i i mean i i sadly didn't have insurance on my car when i went upside down a year and a half ago wish i would have now but uh i guess i guess i live and learn and yeah, you know, this stuff's really, really affordable, and I think that's what some people don't realize, uh, but it, it's so affordable, it's almost crazy not to have the coverage. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, well, that's good, and um, I know that, uh, you know, your your brand keeps continuing to grow, and for, rightfully so, I mean, we, rightfully so, I mean, as, uh, you know, so many of us are learning that 
you know, this stuff is expensive to replace. We've built it over years and it can go away pretty quick. Um, so, so I'm, I'm really happy that, uh, you guys have done what you've done because somebody needed to do it. Yeah, no doubt. And a big thing, Rex, is, you know, where you really see the importance of us is when you have a claim, you know, when, when you're trying to deal with a guy in London sitting behind a desk trying to tell you what parts you need to fix your race car, what parts you don't need, you know, uh, it's been a nightmare and we've witnessed that. So the thing about us, we're racers, we, you know, we know what it takes. Uh, if you have a claim, we're going to get in there. We can make sure your car is fixed and we can make sure it's fixed correctly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's fantastic. That's a big deal, right? Just to work with people that actually know what the heck's going on uh, with your race car and kind of getting, getting your headspace with that and not make it more difficult than what it already is. Uh, Cause man, that's, that's traumatic, traumatic experience at that point. I can tell you that for sure. Well, let's, let's talk about um, a little bit. You mentioned your son Holden. So you guys race together, right? I mean, you've got uh, your four cars and you go race together. Um, I would ask you your favorite track, like what your favorite track is, but I, I got a pretty good idea. It's uh it's that track in Gainesville. Is that right? Well, it has been the last few years. I can tell you that we've had a lot of luck there. So I'd have to say for the last few years, it is Gainesville. Yeah, because uh, how many Wallys have you won at the Gainesville track in the last, what, let's call it uh, two year, two or three years now? Uh, in the last three years, we've got four Wallys. We won the uh, points meet there um, two years ago. Well, if you count my son, actually, I guess it would be five wallets we have there in the last three years. Because um, I won, yeah, I won the points meet. Um, he went ahead and he won the national meet. Uh, then last year I won the national meet, and then this year uh, I doubled up at the points meet, um, both top drives and super comp. That's a heck of a day, man. Like, uh, I mean, it's it's good enough to finish, um, you know, hoisting that Wally in in either class but to do it in both uh both classes i mean when when you rolled up there who which one did you win first did you win top dragster first and then super comp or which one did you win first you remember oh, that yeah, the top drag yeah top dragster first and then super cop was second so did you even have it in your mind you were like hey i got a chance here to to double up i mean uh how, how was that when you pulled in the water box you know, i got to be honest, I was so busy throughout the day with both cars. Uh, I didn't have a lot of time to think of it until the finals. Um, you know, it was my uh, third chance to, to double up, and I've never done it before. And I had Sherman Adcock in the finals, so I had a, a tough competitor. So oh, wow. uh, yeah. I, got really, I got really lucky to get by that round and, uh, and get the double. Yeah, that's impressive. I mean, it, that's uh... – yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. I wouldn't expect um, maybe, you know, maybe to race your boy in the final. That would probably have been about the only way it would have been better that day, huh? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that that's great. Well, tell us a little bit about um, what is on your schedule for this year in terms of uh, schedule, goals, things like that for your, you and, and Holden. Uh, so from uh, here, let's see, in a couple of weeks we have the double divisional in Dallas. Uh, then we go to the Houston National. I believe we have a points meet, a Division Four points meet in Tulsa, second week of June. Then we have a little time off, and uh, I think we'll crank it back up in um, mid-August. We could do Topeka, Brainerd. We, we always love that race in Brainerd, Minnesota. Um, and then we'll do Indy. Okay. Yep. And and so the NHRA schedule uh, primarily. You don't. Uh... You, you don't do any of the PDRA stuff or the Midwest Drag Racing Series, any of that, correct? No. No, we'll, we'll do a, a, a bracket race, a million-dollar race here or there. We did uh, Rich Cummins' bracket race last year. It was my first, my first big high-dollar bracket race I've done, and we really, really enjoyed ourselves. So we may look at doing that one again this year, I think, in November. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah, get the stop off there, right, and, uh, and get that car – uh, going without the stop, that's probably fun. I'm guessing you use the super comp car and oh, not, yeah. not the they, top dragster. They dragster. love that top dragster wide open in the eighth mile. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. Um, well, good. Well, um, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, you know, we certainly wish you luck uh, the rest of the season. I I know that there's there's a probably a contingent of folks that aren't wishing you luck in Gainesville anymore. They probably said you've had. Your fair share. Now get to stepping, but uh, but other than that, we wish you luck throughout the the rest of the the season. 
Well, thank you, Rex. I appreciate that, man. It was great talking to you. Yeah, good. Um, thanks for coming on, and I'll, I'll see you when you come to Indy for sure. Guys, girls, that was Ross Larice of Larice Motorsports Insurance, if you need him. Today's Half-Track Report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. All right, let's start with the NHRA National Event in Atlanta. It is the final Southern Nationals. The NHRA has sold that track. It will be a subdivision, I'm guessing, here at some point. And so the final national event in Atlanta was held this past weekend, and they ran top sportsmen there. There were 17 cars that showed up for that final national event in Atlanta. Your number one qualifier was Sandy Wilkins. He goes a 6.35.5 at 218 miles an hour for the pole position and then goes to the final where he races Dylan Stott in the final for that Wally. And Dylan was just a little bit behind on the tree but managed to be a little closer to his dial in on that double breakout final. So congrats to Dylan Stott for winning his first national event Wally over the champ Sandy Wilkins and uh, getting that final. So nicely done to all of those involved in, uh, in, in Atlanta. And sidebar, and you've probably heard me dissertate on this previously, and maybe I can get someone from the NHRA or one of our listeners to come on to help me understand how they do this bracket and justify it because there were 17 cars. So on a 32-car ladder, there are plenty of buy runs to hand out. In this case, Sandy got the first round buy for being the number one qualifier in an odd field, and then also got the buy run in the semifinals. And I know that's how it's always been done, um, and Sandy certainly should take advantage of that, um, and that's fine. But I don't like it for this reason. The semifinals and the finals were ran on Sunday. Most of the fans showed up on Sunday in Atlanta to watch the pros compete in all the other classes. But they get teased a little bit with the other classes. And sometimes on Sunday, that's how we get exposure for these other classes. But because the buys aren't all ran out in the first round, which I believe they should, the fan fans on Sunday watched one pair of top sportsman cars compete and go down the track to move to the final. And then they watched Sandy make a buy run. Um, from a visual standpoint, I don't think that's a great look for the class. Um, and it just doesn't have to be like that. Um, and I am a complete hater of the response. We've always done it like that. And in this case, I believe I am justified, especially when it comes to showcasing Fast Brackets Nation. Because when it's showcased, it can look a lot like it did 300 miles up the road in Bowling Green, Kentucky, when the PDRA came to town for their Door Slammer Derby Beach Bend Raceway this past weekend. There were 63 top sportsman cars and 60 cars that showed up in for Top Dragster to run in that field. It was awesome. Now, the weather was fantastic. The track at Beach Bend is always good, but the whole show was awesome and should be, in my opinion, highlighted more often, much like the PDRA is doing. And the top sportsman elite class was unbelievable. That's a 16-car field. Buddy Perkinson goes number one. He runs a 381.8 at 196 miles an hour. Uh, John Benoit was a very close 381.9, so a foul low, um, but goes 200 miles an hour for the high speed. So um, obviously, Buddy Perkinson, John Benoit, very, very close there. Could not be any closer in time time uh, runs there for the qualifying spot. And your bump was Bob Bauer at 4.023. So great field, those 16 cars, but... In the final, Chris Nigers, in his brand new Corvette, less than 25 runs on that. Um, he wins in a very odd final against John Benoit. Um, this is, and I'll just kind of walk you through that if you did not see that on Flow Racing. 
John Benoit is dialed 379 in the final, and he is 002 on the tree to a to a late Chris Nigers, who then spins the tires and coasts through at a 598. Should be plenty of time for John to take that win light, right? No. Um, John really picked up in the final, and um, even though he was uh, he was trying to scrub time, he goes six thou too quick for a breakout 378.4 on his 379 dial at 188 miles an hour. Um, so John is likely sick at this point, right? I mean, there's plenty of room to get in there to win that event. But here's the thing. It was at night. The track was still really good, but it was getting cooler. Uh, John, I told you, had already went 200 miles an hour in his qualifying passes. And in the final goes 188. So he scrubbed 12 miles an hour um, off without even locking them up. So he seemed to have it in the bag and would have thought, hey, that's good enough for the win. Um, and this same action happened on the top dragster side as well. And, and both of these guys understand, I think, what I learned when I coached is that you cannot win the championship in the second event of the year, but you can lose it. And what I'm saying is that if either John Benoit or Kellen Farmer uh, lock them up and wad their cars up uh, in the semifinal or the final, uh, trying to you know lock them up and, and get in there so they don't break out, they're in trouble for the rest of the season. Uh, but simply losing this round still gives them an excellent chance to win the title. Um, it's frustrating for sure, but it's not detrimental overall to their championship hopes or to their racing careers. Both of those guys will try to learn and try to get better, um, or you know, maybe even try to make a look a little bit sooner than they did Saturday night. But of course, that is easier said than done at 200 miles an hour at night when when your car is maybe just a little loose. So um, you know, those guys took tough losses, and and I know they are um, you know a little frustrated with it. But take nothing away from Chris Nigers, who gets it done, uh, gets the win in Top Sportsman Elite. Now. On the at the the remaining top sportsman class, they they qualify the regular or the top sportsman thirty two, um, and then the non qualifiers after that went into the bracket bash. So even the bracket bash was a fun race to watch. Uh, but Lester Johnson goes number one for the top sportsman regular. He goes a four oh three five at one hundred and eighty six miles an hour, and it is just insane to see Lester Johnson not in the top 16 qualifiers. I mean, that's just a bad, fast field when Lester Johnson doesn't make the top 16. It was amazing. Also, that bump for this next 32 was a 435 with a zero. So that's a truly great show. You've, you've got qualifiers from 403 to 435. Essentially, every qualifying position was separated by one hundredth of a second, and it was awesome. Ultimately, in the final, it was Stacy Hall over Nick Maloney, who had a really nice weekend. Uh, Stacy is a 13 light and a one above for the win. So congrats to Stacy Hall for besting a really tough group there in the top sportsman 32. On the dragster side, the top dragster elite locked up what is the fastest field in the history of the PDRA top dragster series. Led by your number one qualifier, Craig Addis. He goes 372-1 at 196 miles an hour. And the bump was an incredible 386-2 by Victor Puglia. I mean, it's just an amazingly fast field. Again, we talk about having the entire field, 16-car field, and less than uh, separated each spot by less than 100. And that... 86-2 bump was the fastest field in Top Dragster Elite history when PDRA. Jeff Liebla gets it done in the final over Al Peevler. Jeff was 11 total in the final, and it was going to be tough to beat anyway. But Al just left a couple foul too soon and went red. Had a really good weekend. And uh, I know Al is fired up with where his program's at. But Jeff was too much and was just deadly and wins the fastest 
top dragster field in history. So congrats to Jeff Liebla for winning, getting that done. The regular top dragster, the top dragster 32 was just as bad. Your number one qualifier was a three with a 388.9 at 186 miles an hour was Bill Ernest. And I mean, it's just amazing to run in the 80s and not make the elite field. Um, and there were six of them that ran in the threes and were in the regular field. Uh, so the that was just very, very fast. It was a great group of cars. The bump was a 435.6 from Bob Prost. Uh, so technically, the top sportsman field was six style quicker overall than the top dragster field, but they were a, both an amazing fields. Your your winner was David Petrosky over Bob Mandel, the third in the final. David was absolutely nasty. He's 006 up front, dead on two for an eight pack in the final for the win. Bob Mandel was a very respectable respectable uh, 008 one above, but David Petrosky was having none of the respectable beating him in the final. So congrats to David Petrosky and all of those competitors in the top dragster regular field. Um, and rightfully so, that tremendous final between Petrosky and Mandel was a fitting end to a spectacular race top to bottom. That whole PDRA event, was it was a great track. It was perfect weather. It was very well organized. There were beautiful cars. Um, quick, quickly ran. There were a lot of people there. I don't know what Beach Bend holds, but it looked like they were getting, uh, had a really, really nice crowd. The whole deal. I highly recommend going back to Bowling Green, Kentucky and watching the Door Slammer Derby uh, if you ever get your time machine running because that was a fantastic event. Uh, next week, I'll bring you the results from the Midwest Drag Racing Series, their throwdown in T-Town in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Whoa, let's get out of the groove here just for one second, and let's bring on a standout NHRA driver, pro stock driver from New York State, He's currently sitting number nine in the NHRA Pro Stock standings. Welcome to the show, Mr. Kenny Delco. Kenny, how are you today? Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good, but I don't get to race NHRA Pro Stock, so I'm not quite as good as you are. <laughs> not as dumb as I am. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's certainly... <laughs> What you do is uh, is is certainly the I mean like a tough activity, right? Uh, that's that's no not for the weak of heart. That's for sure. Trying to get those cars moving naturally aspirated, um, you know, just everything is so so technical on those cars. Um, and we'll get that to that in a minute. But maybe we should go way back and and start with you a little bit on how you got to that point in pro stock racing. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in drag racing. Uh, well, uh, I grew up in the Bronx, New York, and they, everybody raced. Everybody had fast cars. So um, I used to hang out with my brother's friends who was older than I was. And um, they all raced. They all hung out at a flip speed trap. So um, I, I raced for a long time, and then I drove flips cars for like four or five years. What was it, what was the very first car that you raced? It was actually a '67 Camaro. Okay. Yeah. Um, we ran it. I think it was a Hot Rod Formula Two, and um, some of my brother's friends were driving, and they were. Uh, and I actually drove it at one of the AHRA races and broke the national record with it. <laughs> The reason was because I was only like 130 pounds and they were all like, you know, 180. You know, weigh the car, not the driver. (laughs) That helps, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That was one of the first lessons in uh, keeping the thing light? (laughs) Yes. That's that's good stuff. Um, Well, then then talk to us a little bit about the transition then from from, uh, going from that, you know, first-gen Camaro to... To pro stock, how how did that even all come about? Well, it actually would um, flip 
you know, his name is Phil Benito, but it's Flip from Flip's Beach Shop. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a, he bought a car from um, the Diamond Race Cars. We were good friends with those guys. And um, I don't know, he wanted me to drive the car. And he bought a motor from Bob Engels. And um, then we got Sal DiPaolo involved, and then we started racing, and we kept racing, because <laughs> Sal kept putting money into it. So. That was back in the 80s and the 90s. Right. A little, little different than how it is today? It's getting back to where it used to be, where you can be actually be not as secretive as they used to be. You know, they're more friendly. Uh huh. Yeah, right. Back then, you used to walk into everybody's trail and look at their computers and talk to everybody and hang out with them. Um, it's starting to get back more like that. They're not as secretive. Just, I guess everybody's on pretty much the same playing field, though. Right. Yeah. Everybody has pretty much the same power. But you setups, like, I would imagine. Yeah, but you you um. You made a little more power than uh, over the winter. I think you you thought with uh, with Frank stuff. Um, did you feel coming into the beginning of the year that you felt like you'd found some power and and that was going to be good for you to start the year? I I think we had the power. We did have the power last year. We didn't really find much. A little bit, but um, I think you know Jamie Yates got more of a handle on the car and the tune up. Um, you can see how fast the Fernando's, uh, the Quadras ran at uh, Orlando. Right. They all, all had Frank's motors, and Jamie was tuning the motors. So. so there's plenty of power there. Yeah. Well, they dominated down there, right? I mean, how, how rare was it yeah. to find uh, family members in the final together and, you know, and Mustangs as well? That, that was rare for yeah. a pro stock final. Yeah. Frank's been working really hard. So. Yeah, well, he's uh, well. That's good, and so you know you've got the right stuff that way, and and you found a little power and a little tuning and all that stuff. Um, but it does take a lot, a lot of people to do that, right? I mean, it takes uh, it takes a crew. You want to talk a little bit about um, like how many, like for for us? I mean, we we've got crew, but we don't have the whole crew that you guys have. How many people do you have in your in your crew that go with you on race day? I can't count that high. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, you know, Jamie Yates and Jim Yates come, mm-hmm. um, Frank Iconio, uh, Brian Moody, uh, John Sabone. They're, my, they're the main crew and my daughter, Erica. Um, then we have Val, Val Schmielen and Donna Schmielen. They, you know, but they work mostly on their car, but they work on our car too. Right. And uh, Chris Wilkes, he comes from California. And Bob Lorello, he's from New York. He actually, right now, is crew chief for uh, John Monticava, but when he's not with him, he comes, helps us out. I got you. That's a lot of people to keep track of. Yeah, and of course, Ron Capicello, he comes. He's the, uh, he's like my partner in the deal. Okay. He, do, he does the paying, I do the buying, so. <laughs> that... <laughs> I, I don't know exactly how you got that deal, but it seems like the better end of the bargain. Yeah, yeah. Well, he loves Greg Wilson. Yeah, uh, well, that and he has the Artisan Coffee. So, oh, okay, all right. Main sponsor. I got gotcha. you. Yep. Well, that that is a big part of it, especially um, when you make some changes, and you know, towards the end of the last year, um, obviously, you know moved your move your hand a little bit and making some changes talk about talk about your car now um and what what's different from it last year um you know the upgrades and things like that that just in terms of the car the car is basically the cars we run um that car actually crashed that in denver and fixed it and it's it's fast same car just oh, okay different body um same shock, same everything. Yeah. And just you know, just tune up, I would say, and getting you know what the car really wants. Well, there was a you it's know. Hard to believe it, but it's not much different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that it's interesting that the the chassis guys are so good now that you can take a car that was you know that 
normally or years past, we would have said, all right, well, let's just start something new. But um, when you have an issue with it, you can fix it and go just as fast. I mean, it's, it's impressive uh, what the chassis guys can do. Remind, remind our yeah. listeners who, who does your chassis work and, and uh, who did all that hard work to get back. Uh, it was Jerry Haas. Okay. Yeah. Most people run Jerry Haas. Yep. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's staying busy over there for sure. Oh yes. He's building a lot of cars. Right. Did, and so you didn't really make any changes to it per se, just, um, just, to put it back the way it was and, and then, uh, just get it cleaned up and, and, uh, re-stickered, huh? That's it. No, no, no magic. Just, uh, you know, move the falling bars a little bit here and there and see what the car really wants and let it go. Yep. Uh, well, I, I, for one, really like the new paint scheme that you have for this year, uh, a little different than it was in, in the last year. Um, is, was that your design or who, who was in charge of that? Well, um, Michael knew he's, he does the, uh, the designing and my daughter was, uh, in one of different colors. Jamie Yates says I didn't like green anymore, so we went to blue. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's uh, that's interesting. We had to change up. Yeah, and Ronnie well, never liked green, so. Okay. All right. Well, it's it's funny how that works. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm in the process of doing that now with mine, and it, it is an interesting process. So, uh, yeah, give your daughter some credit. Uh, the brains behind the operation, so to speak. Uh, that's that's uh, that's really good stuff. It looks it looks really really good. Yeah, a lot of people like it. They don't? No, they like it. A lot of people... Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of comments on it. Yeah. I didn't know they didn't like the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the, when you're going 210 miles an hour, it doesn't really matter what the paint scheme is, right? It's uh, it just, <laughs> can we get there in time? Yeah. Now, uh, talk to us a little bit about... Um, about uh, the next steps for the program, like you, you've been, uh, going, well, how many years is this now in pro stock and, and, uh, kind of what, what is next for you guys? I mean, you're sitting in a good position, ninth overall. That's, uh, that, you know, that is very impressive, but, um, but what's kind of next, what's the rest of the year look like? And then, and maybe even beyond from there. Well, um, I guess it's up to the driver. If he, you know, if he can get off the starting line, we can, we could have been a lot further up <laughs> in the points, but, uh, it's a challenge. Um, we've been working on some stuff with the clutch. I've had the geometry was a little wrong, so it's getting better. Um, we'll see what happens in the next few races. I think we have enough power. Um, we run right up there in the top four or five in, in the back halves and in speed. So um, the power is there. It's just keeping it on the racetrack and getting off the start line before for the other guy. Yeah, yeah. So no more outrunning guys down. <laughs> right. They're uh, too close. <laughs> it, the whole field, right, is just uh, is is incredibly close. And and now you've got uh, you know what is kind of the new uh, what I'd say I don't know second generation of guys are coming through here. The young guys. And, um, yeah. and those, you know, those guys are tough off the line and man, it, it makes it kind of murder's row every time out. Right. Oh, definitely. It's been, uh, it's definitely a challenge. They all got the same power. You could, you know, McGay Hayes got motors in there. Um, elite and KB and, uh, Frank had five motors and, uh, Got to watch out for those Mopars, though. Alan's got power; he's just got to get it, the car together. You know, he's been having a couple of problems, but he's had his motor on Frank's dyno. It's it's pretty good. It's not far behind ours. So. Is is there any you know, part? Take long to get up there. Yeah, the, those things are so intricate in and uh, fickle. I would say, right? I mean, uh, is there any part of the car that you um, spend more time on? 
than, than you ever thought you would when you first got into racing? Like is maybe the shock package or something that, that you just feel like, I, I never realized I was going to spend this much time on this part of the car uh, because it's more important than what I thought. Is there any part of the car that you kind of find yourself thinking about that? I would say mostly the motor. Yeah. When you have a lot of power, the other stuff comes pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can be pretty far off, but get the car close and you have power it's gonna it's gonna run fast you know it's, you got to be careful with you know the, the problem is so much electronics that you know like what was it last in gainesville um i think it was gainesville the first one i looked over the clutch and put it in third gear i was in third halfway through third gear it's not like i hit the limiter so i shifted it it wasn't it just like five stone was cut out oh really I have no idea what happened yeah, the the next uh, one we were one of the one of the fastest cars on the racetrack. We were you know number four position. So <laughs> hard to say. We right? have no idea what happened. Yeah, too much electronics is not good. <laughs> right. Well, the, all the fuel injection stuff really. I mean, put a lot of. I mean, every team right uh, made them go through a whole new learning curve. And um, do you feel like you're you? Know, you're kind of past that curve and, and uh, you got a really good handle on it. Or do you think in terms of, and, and I'm talking about the whole class in general, do you feel like there's a lot more to be gained from the fuel injection stuff or do you feel like everybody's kind yeah. of got a hand on it? I think, um, Damien's got a pretty good handle on it. And, um, a lot of these other, the big teams have, um, they call it, they have a AVL machine that checks the, it tells you the cylinder pressure so you can, more of a handle on the tune-up. Mm. Um, so so we have one now that we're going to test with, hopefully, if we ever get all the parts. But uh, supposedly that's like the next big big thing where you can tune each individual cylinder um, instead of just the, the whole motor. Oh, wow. You know, without just Instead of the O2s, you actually know the cylinder pressure, and it tells you where you can put more timing and less timing. That's the quadras bought that a while back, so we're going to start testing with that. Hopefully soon. Well, that, yeah, that should help. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely got to be some power there, and then, like I said, after you've got that, the the rest of it kind of falls in place. The problem is you can't use it at national events, so you got to test. <laughs> right, so right. More money, more more time spent away from home, and. You know, more wear and tear in the motors because you got to do, you know, so much maintenance on these things. So, yeah, what every uh, race you put new valve springs and oil, you change the oil all the time. Yeah, it's not uh, cheap. right. Yeah, not cheap for sure. <laughs> um, but you guys are heading to Charlotte here um, coming up, correct? Yes. And do you do you personally like the four wide stuff? I'm I'm still up in the air on it myself. Not really. I mean, it's okay um, as long as nobody mess, messes up, you know. Right. You got, you got to be kind of concentrate. I mean, like if somebody doesn't stage, you don't know. All of a sudden, the green light's on. You know, the yellow light comes on. Uh, so if three cars stage and the fourth one gets timed out, the light comes on and... There's three guys standing there at idle. <laughs> right. Like, what happened? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little tricky, right, from a staging standpoint. Yeah. yeah. And then sometimes somebody goes in and just takes off. That, you know, that happened <laughs> at the last race. One of the top fuelers just went in there and then he took off. And, you know, they're all sitting there and you can't race when the other guy's halfway down the racetrack. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Well, yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily love it, but I, but I guess... From uh, I get why they're doing it as well, so you know, um, so be it. Well, we I, mean, I do it; it doesn't matter. So. Yeah, um, racing is racing, right? You get to you get to strap yeah. in, put the helmet on, and and let go. So, uh, yeah, can't be can't be too terrible from that standpoint. No. Well, we we really appreciate coming on and wish you well um, for the rest of the season. You're sitting ninth. Um, the whole Fast Brackets Nation is going to be rooting for you from here on out. And, uh, you know, we hope you can uh, keep making changes, keep getting a little better, and, and make a push as the season goes on. I appreciate it.
think it's up to me now. So, That's I right. I got to do my job. <laughs> I was there. No. I remember how to drive all the time. Got to keep reminding myself. First, second, third, fourth, fifth. Okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, go get them. Uh, we wish you well. And uh, guys, girls, that was Kenny Delco, if you need him. As we hit the mile per hour cone today, we're going to stay out of the shiny black groove for just a second longer and talk about the Kentucky Derby that was this past weekend. It is billed as the fastest two minutes in sports. And this year's Kentucky Derby had some great drag racing related names. Uh, so it got me fired up. First off was Hot Rod Charlie. And then also there was Super Stock, which I thought were pretty good. And anytime we can get drag racing more into other sports and in the mainstream, I like it. There were other notables, of course, in terms of the interesting names that horses are uh, branded with. First of all, keep me in mind, if you're a Zach Brown fan, that was probably pretty good. That probably got some uh, leverage that way. Midnight Bourbon was very Kentucky of them. And right up my alley, uh, Hidden Stash probably had some meaning for some longtime residents of uh, the hills of Kentucky and maybe some other folks as well. Uh, the Seinfeld fans probably liked soup and sandwich. Um, but of course, the winner of the 147th running of the Kentucky Derby was Medina Spirit. I don't know exactly what that means, but... Congrats to Medina Spirit for getting that done. Um, and it's that's an interesting story in itself and how, how that works. It, Medina Spirit was really not picked um, to win, was bought for $1,000. And I think they said now that horse is worth almost 50 mil. Um, there were a couple other names that I thought were decent, but not to quite the same level um, of the ones I just mentioned. Uh, but I thought in terms of names... This year's Kentucky Derby hat was one of the better groups that I've seen in quite a while. Um, but it made me think of a few things. First of all, although I cannot get my head around a good name for my own car, uh, names of horses and names of race cars are good for the sport. It adds to it, and I don't have a great reason why. I just know that it simply does. It's probably why I like Aaron Glasser's Two-Face car. It, uh, it names it, and it is just adds a cool factor. Secondly, the spectators for the Kentucky Derby were capped at 50% capacity or 50,000 people. Uh, that made it the largest sporting event in the U.S. in the last 12 months or since the Rona lockdowns. Um, it is, of course, that record is expected to be broken later this month when the Indy 500 has approximately 125,000 fans in attendance. Um, again, this goes to show, like I spoke about last week, how motorsports or sports in general with outdoor venues can take advantage and put all their eyeballs on them right now while the NBA and the Major League Baseball and NFL try to figure out how to repack all the pockets into the arenas. Drag racing is built for the new world of spectatorship. We just have to be organized correctly to capitalize on it. You know, I suppose we just need crazy car names, women in ridiculous hats drinking a signature beverage, and some gambling, and we are all set. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a quick peek in the other lane, make the decision. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 67. And there it is. Of course, the wind light and Gloria. Whew, that is beautiful. Um, guys, girls, we had a great week this week. First of all, I think we're getting our hands around the left lane driving issue we talked a little horse racing. Uh, we had 
two great guests on. First of all, Ross LaReese from LaReese Motorsports Insurance. Uh, he, of course, is a top dragster and super comp standout. We also had Kenny Delco on uh, from the Pro Stock ranks. Um, he was fantastic as well. So thank you very much for both of those guys for coming on and talking racing with us. If you have comments, questions, or curse words for me, you know there are three ways to get at me. First of all is the Facebook page Messenger. Um, you can also hang out in the left lane until I get tired of it and just ram into your back bumper. Also, you can use the email fastbrackets at outlook.com. I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. Hey Rex, that was a great Saturday. I sure enjoyed uh, that PDRA event. Um, everybody just going fast, and uh, and it just seems like a ever a great time. Everybody has such a good time with the the PDRA. It was a great event. I mean, it, and I can't overstate that how what how good of an event that was. I mean, and you, to your point, not only were the cars fast, no, not only was it a good show, not only was there lots of people in the stands, but the people that were there were genuinely excited to be there. And it, it was just a lot of fun, I thought. I know I was excited. I had a great time. That a kid.